Jericho. Hi. Hi. Hello. Welcome back. It's 2018 still. Still. Still don't know which way up it is, but I'm glad it's not 2017 anymore. And we're going to kick this year off with talking about a commitment to practice self-care, right? Mm -hmm. I know you're going to be talking a lot about it on your show. What's it called? Self-service. That is coming on January 14th. But I mean, self-care can mean so many things. It can mean turning your phone off. It could mean taking a shower or a nice hot bath when, I don't know, you're a freelancer and your hygiene goes down the drain. And it's even better when you step out of the tub and wrap yourself in the coziest towel, like the towels from Parachute Home. We've talked about Parachute a lot on this show. That's true. And you have their sheets. Mm -hmm. I have the towels. How are they? Insane. So I... I'm a yuppie, and when I bought my house, I, like, invested in, like, fancy towels, Mm -hmm. whatever that means. Not that parachute aren't fancy, because what I'm going to say is that, like, my fancy towels feel like fucking Brillo pads next (laughs) to... Uh, the par- parachute towels it's 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 like kind of mind-boggling how they can make towels this soft I was shocked I mean you don't know this when you're buying a towel on the internet so when you actually touch it you're like wow, wow. nobody pulled the wool or the steel wool over my eyes <laughs> uh, to Amazing. to sell me a towel right um, it's such a great feeling when you get when you're when they over deliver and parachute mm-hmm. certainly over delivers in the softness category so if you want the softest towels your ass has ever felt visit parachutehome.com slash girlboss for free shipping returns on parachutes super duper comfortable bedding and bath linens so you can sleep you can shower you can basically exist in a parachute world by going to parachutehome.com p-a-r-a-c-h-u-t-e H-O-M-E dot com slash girlboss. Parachute offers a 60-night trial. So if you don't like your sheets, your towels, your bathrobe, whatever it is that you load up on from Parachute, they'll give you your money back. Parachutehome.com slash girlboss. Amazing. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Today, we're featuring Dr. Lauren Hazuri, a clinical psychologist and founder of HeyLauren.com. Born and raised in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Dr. Lauren has built a successful practice in the center of the community that focuses on treatment issues impacting women and teenage girls. She offers a fresh perspective and a new approach to therapy. People were coming into me, especially girls and women, and they would tell me different experiences that they had had, and I'd think, shit, when I went through that, you know, this song kind of helped. Or like, when I went through that, you know what, I wrote a poem at that time. I bet you if she read this, that'd be pretty good. So I started to add little pieces of me into the work. And so, of course, we'd stick with evidence-based skill sets. But at the same time, I'd say, you know what, you need to write. You know what, let's dance a little bit. Let's move around. And so I developed a curriculum. Her latest initiative, The Practice, is a movement that revolutionizes the way girls and women care for their emotional health, together as a community, both in person and online. Right now, you go to you know, a psychologist, if there's something wrong. But if we cared for our emotional health on a daily basis, we came together and we talked about all of this stuff and we celebrated who we are and we moved and we were listening to music and like, we were all part, we were all in our solution from day one. I I, I really don't think the diagnosis rates would be what they are. Through the program, she's encouraging women to live and lead meaningful and fulfilled lives with programs that are infused with art, music, dance, and her ability to speak candidly regarding the ever-present issues plaguing young girls and women in today's society. We're identifying the problem. What the problem is, is is society and social norms and patriarchy. Like, we're not the problem. And until girls and women learn that, 
it's really, really hard to get unstuck. Get ready. This episode is a workout for your spirit, a pep rally for your soul, and an introduction to the coolest doctor we know. And Jericho, we are happy to announce that Dr. Lauren will be joining you on the newest Girl Boss podcast. And yes, that means we're a network. Jericho is hosting a podcast called Self Service that launches this week on Sunday, January 14th. A great day to practice self care. It's time for the Jericho segment. Hi. Welcome to the Jericho segment. So, this month, we have a theme going on Girlboss. Tell us about it. It's self-care month in January on girlboss.com. So we're going to be talking about all things self-care, the history of the word self-care, talking about self-care myths and debunking stuff and getting advice on how to self-care better and more often. And we also have that whole self-service podcast thing. Oh, yeah. Up on the weekend. Your so. very own podcast that's coming January 14th, which you can find now on iTunes and subscribe to. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's just that. I know. So speaking of self-care myths, some people think that, you know, like self-care is about treating yourself and pampering yourself. But at its like very core, it's about just addressing your like most basic needs like food, water, sleep is probably like number one. They're all things that like you know, we do, but like we could always do them better. My resolution, one of my resolutions is to drink more water and like get seven to eight hours sleep a night. So on girlboss.com this week, we're talking about like, if you have no idea where to start with self-care, these are the most basic things that you need to know. And that's really that self-care is about time management. So it's not about laser facial treatments. It's not about getting manicures or having Kardashian lips, hours, even though you already have some. Thank nap- you. Naturally. Yes, it's not about any of that stuff. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is that? Uh, yeah, we like him. Is it a cult? Yes, it is. Is there a secret? Like, is there a secret to self care? What? I think the secret yeah. is that, like, you just have to see it as a simple looking after of your most basic needs and making sure you have the time. Time is like the secret ingredient. So it's maybe. about reclaiming your time. You have to reclaim your time and make sure that you're doing things at the same time every day. So like we know that we have to eat five meals a day, three main meals and two snacks. If you can just do that automatically at the same time every day, like set an alarm, have like a stopwatch for moving for however many minutes you want to move every like couple of hours from your desk. These kind of things are going to make it simple I think in people's minds it can be overwhelming and just setting aside a little bit of extra time is like really the first step so we're just trying to make it a bit easier in this story and in more stories to come on the site and when you take care of yourself you're able to elevate the rest of your life in ways that is very much a privilege but also something that if you can do it really can allow you to move forward in areas that are not self-care, but without self-care, you're really kind of selling yourself and anything that you're trying to do short. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's like sometimes I get so emotional and I like start crying and I feel like, oh, what's wrong with me? Like my emotions. And then I realize I'm just a bit hungry. I know. know? Me too. And that's just your basic needs. Mm -hmm. Cool. So we're going to get to Dr. Lauren in just a minute, but while we're all thinking about our plans for 2018, Think about your business and what your goals are for your team in 2018. I know we're recruiting a lot here at Girl Boss, and it is not an easy process. There's a lot of applications, there's a lot of emails, and it really, it takes a lot of time to find the right people who are gonna get your business to the next level. And that's why ZipRecruiter is here. ZipRecruiter has transformed how you go about finding the best candidates. They post your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards with just one click. And then ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. And they even review every application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. I mean, I don't know if you've ever posted a job online, but you post a job for a project manager and you get people who are graphic designers and work in retail and no offense guys, but like project management is a real job that takes real experience and sorting through those resumes when you've got a thousand other things to do, 
is really taking time away from your business. So no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. It's really the smartest way to hire. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Free. That's right. F-R-E-E. Free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. That's Z-I-P-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R.com slash girlboss. And one more time to try it for free. That's right. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. And now, Dr. Lauren, clinical psychologist, brilliant therapist, outstanding listener, and your personal cheerleader, even though she won't bake for the football players. Dr. Lauren doesn't preach from a pedestal. She speaks candidly from the heart and taps into her own experiences as a woman who is growing a successful business, raising a teenage daughter, and trying to make time for her own self-care. Hi, happy new year. Happy new year to you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So you're in Pennsylvania? I am. Yes. Uh, where it is negative 25 degrees today with the wind chill. Uh, so all of the schools wow. have been called off for most of the week. Is, <laughs> so I just it, had... Is it part um, of the bomb bomb thing? Bomb. I think it is part of the bomb thing. Um, but <laughs> my house looks like a bomb went off because I just had a whole crew of 14-year-old girls here baking cookies and making Rice Krispie treats. My daughter and her friends all decided to get together here today. So I am home with them and doing all that great stuff. So that yeah. sounds like the most fun thing ever. Like if 14 year olds wanted to hang out with me, I'd be oh, really happy. Com completely. Well, I mean, that's most of my life, right? Like whether it's work or at mm -hmm. home, I'm with, I'm with teen girls, college age girls all the time. And so sometimes I forget um, that I'm not because <laughs> it's typically, yeah, there are dance parties that happen. Uh, there's a lot of choreography coming out of me on a pretty much a weekly basis. <laughs> so cool. So that's how you get your exercise. So fun. So you were born and raised in Scranton. Yes, yeah, so I was born and raised here. I grew up with three brothers, only girl, um, which definitely um, had a significant impact. Good relationship with my brothers. Um, my youngest brother. Um, is my best friend, calls me every night on his way home from work. Oh, Really cool guy. Yeah, good kid, cool guy. He and I were always in it together. And here I am, still here, a couple blocks <laughs> away from where I grew up. <laughs> amazing. Did you ever move away? Yeah, I mean, I moved away when I went to school. And, you know, I started off, you know, growing up, I was a dancer. Like, I spent most of my time at the dance studio. So the minute that I got out of school, I went right to the Ballet Theater of Scranton, and ballet, tap, jazz, modern, uh, you name it, it was the only time that I was at peace um, was when I was moving. So I spent most of my time at the dance studio and that was my thing, you know? And so, you know, I always identified as a dancer. So growing up, I spent most of my time there. And then when I, w so then I was actually a dance major in school. Um, I, I was on dance scholarship. And um, when I went away to school, I became a dance major and spent most of my time in the dance studio then when I was in college. The reason that I ended up coming back home and that I'm not no longer a dancer and I'm a psychologist is because that was the one thing that gave me solace and gave me peace. It's like when I was moving, my head would stop moving, you know? So like all of the racing thoughts that I had grown up with, um, like when I started moving, my, my, my head stopped. And like, so I just like longed for that peace. And I always felt good when I was dancing. Well, you know, all my shit got in the way once again. And because of all of my stuff and just wanting to really be able to do it and quote unquote, make it, I started to get anxiety then with dancing. And I started to restrict and like engage in eating disordered behaviors and all shit like that. And I had to stop dancing. It was like, choose dance or me at that point. So then I moved home because there was no way that I could continue that and thought, all right, I have to get my life in order, get my shit together here. And then at some point I'll start dancing again, but I didn't really want to take any time off from school. And so I transferred to Penn state and started taking a whole bunch of psychology classes. And it seemed like it wasn't really doing any work. You know, it, it was interesting to me. It seemed kind of easy. 
of course I was interested because I was going through all my own shit, you know, trying to figure myself out. And, you know, one course led to another course, one year led to another year. And um, before I knew it, I had graduated my undergrad, master's, doctoral degree, and, you know, you name it. How many years of school is that? <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So there was four. So I did, I did undergrad in four years. Um, then I had two years of my master's degree. And then it took me a little bit longer because my daughter, Ava, was born at the beginning of my third year of my doctoral program. And so my dissertation took me two years. So it ended up taking me like eight years to complete my doctorate. So by the time it was all said and done, licensed, you know, postdoc residency and all of that stuff, um, by the time it was all said and done, going full time through school, I was 32. Amazing. I mean, that still seems pretty, mm -hmm. I mean, you've, yeah, a doctorate at 32, I think is a pretty great accomplishment. So why is psychology? Because it was easy because you're trying to figure yourself out. Like what led you to that? Was there a book that you read or someone that kind of, kind of turned you on to it? No, there was someone. Yeah. So I started, you know, I had never identified as being smart. You know, like I, like I said, like I was always the dancer. And I think one of the other reasons that I liked dancing so much is because I was good at it you know, and like I was reinforced. And in school, it seemed like, you know, I did okay, but like, you know, I wasn't setting the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination. And so, um, and, it, and it was, it didn't come easily to me. And so, you know, like if I look back, like I always tried super, super hard, but I never got any satisfaction from schoolwork. And when I transferred to Penn State, I had this one psychology professor, um, his name was Dr. Revisa. He held me in high regard and literally treated me like I was the brightest bulb in the bunch. Hmm. He, I would, I, I remember I would, I, you know, I would study and I would take the test and I would do well, but I did have a deep understanding of things. And I think it is because of the experiences that I had had from the time that I was small. We say that every single person has a, a both a positive and a negative thought voice. Well, my negative thought voice started kicking when I was in about kindergarten, you know? And so everything that I read, it wasn't like, it wasn't coming from the outside in, I would read it. And I'd be like, holy shit, like this is a thing. Like this isn't me. And I'd have examples and I, and I really got it. And then the, the clincher was when I started taking a statistics class with this same professor. And statistics is, you know, what we use to do all the research that we do in psychology. And everybody was acting like it was really difficult. And for, for some reason I would, I, you know, I started to do it and I was like, they, he'd say, does anybody have the answer? And like, everybody would be sitting there like in a conundrum. And I would just raise my hand and think like, I think I, I, I think I got it. And I'd say the answer. He'd say, well, that's perfect. And I ended up getting a hundred on every test. And he asked me to be a, a teaching assistant as an undergrad. And just that reinforcement and him believing in me helped me to believe in myself. That's amazing. Yeah. I've, there's always those rare teachers who, whether it's in high school or college or, think that everybody can kind of, I mean, hopefully everybody has at least one who says like, no, actually you're, you're smarter than you think you are, or, you know, you do have an aptitude for that, or just like nurtures you beyond just delivering their, you know, coursework or whatever. Um, and I, I have someone that I can point to as well who did that for me and just, they can be su such important figures in our lives. And I think really underappreciated and under celebrated, especially in a world where, I mean, I didn't go to college and I don't, I, you know, I, I actually think it's, I wish I had gone to college because at the very least you learn to finish something, but you know, in a world where everyone's kind of questioning higher education, it's like, I, I, I do think that there's just so much to, I don't know, to take away from like those special individuals who like nurture us along the way. Were you getting paid for dancing? Did you have early jobs like before you were basically a student for 12, 13 years? Forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we laugh because I, I, I worked just about everywhere. Um, you know, like I didn't, I didn't have a lot of money. And so I waitressed in diners, you know, like I, I did all things like that. But I was a very young entrepreneur when I was in sixth grade. Um, all of the kids in my school and at my dance studio actually wore bows in their hair. Like that was a thing um, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I don't know if it was a thing anywhere else, but I used to make bows um, in my basement. I remember begging my father to change um, the phone number in our basement to three, four, four bows. Um, but um, he, he didn't do it. Um, but, but I, and so what I would do is I would bring the bows that I made to the dance studio and sell them there. And um, there was this 
little boutique um, called Cynthia's Creations, I remember, and she, and she was selling my bows at her store, and that was in sixth grade. So that was the first time that I actually started a business. It was a bow business. Um, and then when I was getting my master's degree, I started a baking business. I needed money. And um, I had been working part-time on a political campaign. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, his brother was running for Congress. And um, I had been working on that campaign just with you know, getting volunteers together and things like that. And the campaign had very little money. And so we needed, we needed things for the fundraisers. Like we needed baked goods and things like that. So I was like, well, damn, I'll make some brownies. Well, it turned out that I was really good at making brownies. And people were like, where'd you get these brownies? I was like, I made them. And so then I was like, you want to buy them? <laughs> and so um, I ended up creating a baking business that paid for my Volkswagen Beetle, paid for my rent, all while I was getting my master's degree, you know, I paid all my bills. And so when people had birthday parties, they would call me for birthday cakes. And, you know, I went to, you know, the art supply store and bought all the Wilton products to like cake decorate and all that stuff. And like, that was a thing for like a couple of years. I haven't thought about that in a while, but yeah, like I, the biggest thing that I did was there was a party, a Mardi Gras party at, um, what we call here the cultural center. And there was like 750 people invited. And I did um, all the baked goods and then like the take home little giveaways. And that was all the baked goods. So, so yeah, so I, um, I, I've had many jobs. Those are the, the two businesses that I started before I started my psychology practice. But I think uh, I've always wanted to create things. Yeah. And so after college, did you go into private practice right away? You know, did you know exactly what you wanted to do with your doctorate degree? You know, doctor, doctor, you're Dr. Lauren. Like, what do you do once you have a doctor in front of your name? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and you know, what's funny, you know, to me, it had always been um, preached to me. My mom was a women's studies professor for 44 years at Penn State. And my mom's ticket um, and her means to independence was education. And so she used to preach to me growing up, like the only thing that nobody can take away from you is education. Like that was her big thing. And I had internalized that to such a degree. But I also had so much anxiety and so much fear that the reason that I have so much education is not because I wanted the education. It was because I was really afraid to do anything else. You know, I continued on in school for as long as anybody would have me because there was a certain recipe and I just had to follow that. And I was going to be safe and okay. Like I was under some sort of an umbrella. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Totally. And so like, I was kind of like afraid to be out on my own. Like when all of my friends were moving to New York city and getting apartments and, and doing what they wanted to do, I was just too afraid to do it. Um, so oftentimes people say like, wow, that's amazing. You have a doctor. And I'm like, yeah, well, I have my doctor because I was freaking afraid to do anything else. <laughs> I was too lazy. <laughs> I was, yeah. Yeah. Like I was scared to death, but I wasn't enough, you know? So I figured, well, I know how to get a hundred on this test. So I'm just going to stick with this. But when I finished, uh, no, I had no idea what I wanted to do. What I ended up doing is I had my residency at a local hospital um, that did all neuropsych and psychological testing. And that was another thing that was very recipe-like, you know, like, so you give a certain test battery to assess for different psychological disorders, different neuropsych disorders, attentional problems, all stuff like that. And so what I started doing is I only did testing. And that was part of my training. And it was something that was like super comfortable that I didn't really have to like risk anything. You know, and so I started with doing only testing and it was interesting because it was kind of like putting together a puzzle, like somebody would come in with a problem and then, you know, you, you start off with a certain, with a certain number of tests. And then if this flares up, that leads you in this direction. If that doesn't, well, then you kind of get away from that. And so I started by doing only testing, but I wasn't really feeling it. And so what ended up happening is I wanted to start my own private practice, specialize, but you know, I didn't really have anybody that would refer to me. So after I had worked at this, at this hospital for a little bit, I had, you know, good relationships with the people who worked there, but they didn't do any therapy there. So I had talked to several of them and said, listen, if I leave here and open a practice, will you make referrals to me? And so that's how I started my practice. I left there after a couple of years and then went into private practice. Um, I remember I had one person but it was, you know, slow and steady. And I think word of mouth was the way that it started to become successful. Dr. Lauren's approach to therapy is rooted in her belief that we all have all the tools we need to be exactly who we're supposed to be. And life really shouldn't be that hard. So what I'm talking about now is Missouri psychology. And that's just a typical private practice that you would, you know, that so many clinicians have, you know, all over the place. And, um, but as I was doing that, 
you know, I started off by doing, you know, what I was trained to do. And so, you know, people would come in and I'd have on, you know, like gray slacks and black shoes and I'd say, how was your week? And I was kind of, you know, resistant to bring any of myself into it because, you know, we're taught to be a blank slate and, you know, do a lot more listening than talking. But, you know, people were coming into me, especially girls and women, and they would tell me different experiences that they had had. And I'd think, shit, when I went through that, you know, this song kind of helped. Or like when I went through that, you know what, I wrote a poem at that time. I bet you if she read this, that'd be pretty good. So I started to add little pieces of me into the work. And so of course we'd stick with evidence-based skill sets, but at the same time, I'd say, you know what, you need to write. You know what, let's dance a little bit, let's move around. And so I developed a curriculum that takes about 12 to 18 weeks and started to do that and really focus on girls and women age 14 and up. The reason I do that is because I think I'm, you know, best with that, with that age group. It seems like, um, you know, the, the average person who come, who would come to see me is probably, you know, high school, college age, and like up to like 28, 30, something like that. And so I was doing my work there and people started to come to Hazari Psychology from, you know, from New York, from New Jersey, from different places. And the word started to kind of get out. And then I thought, you know what, I need to bring this to a larger demographic. And so then that's when I began to develop the practice. Um, because I recognize how social norms affect how we girls and women think, feel, and behave. Because what, what we're taught as psychologists is that, you know, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, to change how we feel, we got to change how we think. Thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to action. And so if, some, if a girl would come into me and she had body image concerns or she would have anxiety or something like that, or she had low confidence levels, low self-esteem, you know, we're taught that, you know, we help somebody to identify the quote-unquote irrational thought we help them to come up with a healthier, more quote unquote rational thought. And that will change then how they feel and what they do. But I'm sitting there thinking like, wait a second, like this isn't irrational if you look at it in the greater social context. I can't possibly tell this girl that she's being irrational because that's pathologizing her once again, right? So she's just been a good listener because if you look at social norms, right? To be thin and attractive, to be accommodating, to be successful, but don't threaten the social system, like all that shit. If you look at that, then her thoughts are actually quite rational. And so then if I'm saying like, wait, you're irrational, I just felt like it was part of the problem. I almost felt like as a psychologist, like I was on cleanup crew, you know? <laughs> and so I, so I really felt it necessary that I say like, wait a second, there's nothing fucking wrong with you. Like you've just been really listening hardcore and you've internalized patriarchy to such a degree that now you're self-destructing and it totally makes sense. This is how we need to manage these symptoms so that you gain clarity so you can stay in your power and a story, you know? And so I, I, I couldn't possibly stay in that role as like, you know, typical psychologist and say like, these thoughts are irrational. I was like, no, dude, yeah, you might meet criteria for this disorder, but there's nothing fucking wrong with you. But you're amazing. Through her work, Dr. Lauren helps thousands of women. Her latest work, a project called The Practice, was born out of a desire to destigmatize and normalize caring for our mental health through a radical new approach, interactive community building workouts for your whole self. I asked her to tell us about the program. So what the practice is, is there are two different ways that we do it. The ceremony is like, it's like a ritual. It's literally something, it's like going to church. Like, it's like, like we have movement and music. Of course, we learn all the evidence-based skill sets that psychology has to offer, but we're identifying the problem. What the problem is, is, is society and social norms and patriarchy. Like, we're not the problem. And until girls and women learn that, um, it's really, really hard to get unstuck, you know? And like, you know, I think about this one example, right? Like in small towns um, across the country, like this is not just in Scranton, Pennsylvania, but like I've been in this argument now with our local schools for literally over a year that like the cheerleaders at schools, literally it's mandatory that they bake for the football players. Okay. Wow. So they bake baked goods for the football players and they get their locker combination at the beginning of the season. They have to put it in their locker on Friday mornings. What? And so I have girls and women then coming into me and I, I learned of this because a girl came in on a, on a Friday and she was anxious because she didn't do well on her test because she didn't have just time to study because she had been baking. I'm like, what the fuck are you baking for? She's like, oh, well, I have to bake because I'm whatever. And it's just, and you know, and the parents are buying the baking supplies because they did it too. And, and it, nobody is really, everybody's just kind of taking it as quote unquote tradition, right? So, so I'm saying, but then people are coming to me and saying, 
hey, Dr. Lauren, can you fund a study? There seems to be a significant confidence gap. You know, and I'm like, wait a second. So we expect these girls when they're in high school to bake for the football player. And then we're like, why are these women so goddamn insecure when they're in their 20s and they're applying for a, a promotion? I mean, dudes apply for a promotion with 50% of the qualifications, whereas women need to, you know, they won't apply unless they have 100% of the qualifications. You know, so they're coming, they're like, can you study why women are so insecure and why there's this confidence gap? Well, we just had them baking for the football players five years ago. And when you've been socialized to think that your value comes from the size of your ass, and when your value comes from being in a relationship, of course you think that you need 100% of the job qualifications when you are up for the promotion next to the dude that you baked for a couple of years ago. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So like all these things are related and people don't look at them all together. Like, like we can't have, it can't be so disjointed. We can't say, oh, there's this confidence gap. What's wrong with women? And you know what? It's tradition. So they need to bake. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many examples of that. So many. And like, literally, it drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. um, because you see, I see, you know, because not only did I experience it, not only did you experience it, but like when I see these young girls and women coming in my office and they think they're so messed up, you know, and they're literally beside themselves, think they're messed up and there's nothing wrong with them. It literally, like, I just, like, I, it just drives me completely crazy because I just think like, oh my God, like, we're not crazy. Like we're human, we're not the problem, we're the solution. And like, if, if I just need to get to every single girl and say it, because like literally the relief in their eyes when all of a sudden they know the truth, it's like, oh my God, thank God. Tell me about the ceremony. Yeah, so what the ceremony is, the ceremony is the ritual. Like, so it's where we go and we talk the talk, we like celebrate ourselves, all that. And then, and then the practice sessions, um, so the practice has two parts, the ceremony and the sessions. The sessions are, are basically like psychoeducational support groups where all women come together and, you know, we, we practice the curriculum that, that I've come up with. And, you know, there are three different types. There's, you know, relationship with self and others, there's self in society and there's mood, anxiety, depression. Because if you look at, you know, the di diagnosis rates of, you know, women are diagnosed twi at twice the rate as men. And, you know, women have been pathologized since the beginning of time. So like it, so many girls and women are diagnosed with mood disorders or anxiety, and even those who aren't diagnosed, you know, there's no qualitative difference between those who are and those are diagnosed and those who are label free. So like we all experience all of this stuff to some degree, like it's on a continuum, you know, so the practice is all about like making, uh, like changing the way that we look at our emotional health. It's revolutionizing the way that we care for our emotional health. And what I mean by that is like, you know, I remember when I was younger, my dad had a heart attack, right? And, you know, he was given a prescription to go to, it was called the Nautilus, but it was basically like a gym. But people didn't go to the gym back then. You know, like that wasn't a thing that people did. Like you went there, something happened and like you needed to get well. And so I kind of look at the practice as being like the, where, where we need to go with emotional well-being. So for girls and women. So it's like right now you go to, you know, a psychologist, if there's something wrong, but if we cared for our emotional health on a daily basis, we came together and we talked about all of this stuff and we celebrated who we are and we moved and we were listening to music and like, we were all in our solution from day one. And we learned how to stand in our power rather than shrink, shrink to fit in. I, I really don't think the diagnosis rates would be what they are. This weekend, we'll launch our latest girl boss podcast, Self Service. It's really our second podcast ever, and it means that Girlboss Radio is now a network. On every episode, Jericho, our editorial director at girlboss.com, Dr. Lauren and astrologer Jessica Lanyadu will join forces to bring you an inner beauty school where self-care is celebrated, where getting real with emotions is a treat, and an interest in thoughtful, funny conversations, weird wellness, and astrology is unabashed. It's where being a little self-indulgent isn't just a shame-free act of self-love. It's a necessary launch pad into a life that's wholly yours in a world where we feel good about taking up space. We're going to get back to Dr. Lauren in just a minute, but first, it's time to talk about ShipStation. That's right. I'm entertaining myself because I'm singing. I recommend ShipStation for all of your shipping needs. 
Someday, I'll get back into e-commerce. 10 years was a slog, and I know how hard it is to get your orders out on time. And I can't tell you how many people have tweeted at me who heard about ShipStation on Girlboss Radio, are using it, and loving it. Um, that's, that's as good as it gets as someone who talks about products on a podcast. And so ShipStation.com is the fastest and easiest way to manage and ship your orders all from one place, whether you're using Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, any other shopping channel. ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface and makes it so easy for you to manage from any device, even your cell phone. I mean, I remember when I got my first BlackBerry Pearl and I could see my eBay orders for, I couldn't ship them. And that was like to come, you know, there was no ship station, but just being able to see my eBay orders in a place that wasn't a computer that was stuck on a table was like game changing. And so you guys who are starting businesses today have so much advantage with services like ShipStation. They create shipping labels for all the top carriers, including UPS, FedEx, USPS, and eventually, ultimately you save more time. So then maybe you can practice some self-care and listen to self-service. Who knows? Right now, you can try ShipStation for free for 30 days and get an additional month free. That is two months free only if you use my promo code GIRLBOSS. Go to ShipStation.com. Don't wait. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone. We all know what a microphone looks like at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. ShipStation. Make ship happen. You can explore the practice and view membership options on Dr. Lauren's website, heylauren.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with clinical psychologist and founder of heylauren.com and the practice, Dr. Lauren Hazuri. So what are the most common issues that you hear from young women today? You know, interestingly, they're, they're pretty much the same that, that they were when I was younger, that they were like when you were young. It's, it's, all, it's all the same stuff. You know, like, I mean, confidence and self-esteem are huge. Um, and the one thing is that people often conflate those two things and they're two different things. Like confidence is defined as a feeling of self-assurance that arises from the appreciation of your abilities or qualities. And that's why all of us girls and women try like that whole hustle hard business. You know, that's why everybody tries to get so good, so good at doing so much shit. Um, because people are increasing confidence, but looking for self-esteem. Self-esteem is confidence in your own value. Like you have a place here, like your place here matters. People are often doing, you know, trying hard and not getting any satisfaction, like by getting really good at doing a lot of things and then really still not feeling it. And it's because their self-esteem is still in the gutter. Um, so people come in with low self-esteem. People come in with, you know, body image concerns, huge. Social anxiety, so big. You know, I mean, everything from like severe panic attacks to, I mean, and dissociation to, you know, like, you know, I'm going to a holiday party and like, I don't want to be overdressed or underdressed. And like that shit just reels in their mind for like freaking days. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, varying degrees of everything and depression is huge, you know, like, and it goes for everything from like, just not really feeling it, like just feeling kind of dead inside to like, I want to want to do this, but I'm one want away, you know? Um, there are a lot of girls and women who come in with that. Like, I, I want to want to, but I'm just, I can't quite freaking get over this hump and I don't know what the hump is. Hmm. So I would say like the major things would be low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, body image concerns, and relationships. Do you refer to psychiatrists? Do you, I mean, obviously like there are real mental health issues that I'm sure that you see, even though so much of it is exacerbated by and sometimes completely, you know, related to social norms and everything that you mentioned. Are there times where you, where you are going the pharmacological route with your, with your clients? Yes. You know, the goal for me is always, you know, as a psychologist is always no meds. Um, so what we do, you know, in the first session, intake session is when I get all the information. So it's pretty basic, like not only demographics, but, you know, educational history, work history, familial psychological history, medical history, all of that stuff. Um, so I get all the information. From there, we come up with a treatment plan. I like to come up with four treatment goals. 
Um, the four treatment goals, I want them to be measurable so that we can go back every four weeks or so and see where we're at with meeting the goals. I want them to be objectively defined so we're not just coming in talking about the same shit every week. What I do is always very action oriented. The goal is not to come in and, you know, like, because what oftentimes happens is somebody comes in and the story is the same just with different names and dates um, every week. So the goal is to keep moving forward. And so what I do is after, usually after about four weeks, if somebody isn't making the turn, um, I'll often, you know, if they need some sort of medication in order to elevate their mood enough or decrease their anxiety enough just to get over the hump so that they can put the behavioral interventions that I prescribe into play, then yes, then we do do that with the goal of, you know, just meeting the goals. Um, so yes, so I often work with psychiatrists too. Like I would say probably not quite 50% of the time, but maybe about 30 to 40% of the time. Yeah, you know, so the, and then what I do, um, you know, with our treatment plan is I always start with lifestyle changes, you know, because people come in and, you know, you're going to feel like shit if you're not eating, right? If you're not sleeping and you're not exercising, like just as a human being, if you're not getting your body to work for you rather than against you, you're not going to feel right. Um, so oftentimes, you know, we start with that. Sometimes there are different things that come in the way of the person and actually implementing those changes. And then we work on those. But the goal is to get um, on a sleep pattern where you go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time every day, three meals, two snacks to fuel your brain, you know, and then exercise. It's, it's shown that a 30 minute run can increase serotonin levels, um, which is the neurotransmitter in our brain that makes us feel good at um, the same rate as a low dose of an SSRI, like a Zoloft or a Prozac. So if we can try to get that naturally, great. Um, obviously, everybody can't run or doesn't want to run. But whatever, I just say, like, sweat like an animal for a half hour a day if you can do that. Like, I don't care what you do. Like, ride your bike or jump up and down. Like, I don't care. But just, like, sweat it out. We start with lifestyle changes, then we move on to, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that. The idea and practice of self-care has consumed much of the conversations women are having with one another. Why is it suddenly appearing in headlines and how do I do it? I asked Dr. Lauren to break it down for us. Well, I think the first thing that I've learned about self-care is that it's such an individualized plan, right? So like I was, you know, totally in that boat, you know, several years ago of thinking like, God, I take care of myself. Like, yeah, like I go for manicure, like I'll buy myself the handbag if I really freaking want it. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm all right. Meanwhile, uh, I had no ability to set boundaries and, um, you know, I really wasn't good at differentiating between taking care of other people in my life and taking care of myself. The way that I define self-care today is just doing the next right thing for you. And so like for some people that might be, you know, taking a nap for other people that might be, you know, setting a climate so that they can become like their best selves or like so that they can crush it at work. You know, I think it's so individual and it kind of depends on the day, you know, like, so for some days for me, self-care might be setting some time aside so that I can read. On other days, self-care might be me dragging my ass out for a run when I don't really feel like it. You know, so it looks very different. But the way that I define self-care is setting the climate for yourself, like creating the conditions so that you can feel like you. Why do you think women are so bad at practicing self-care? Why do you think it's something that we have to talk about so much? Well, I, you know, like, you know, back to the social norms and conditioning, like, I think we have been conditioned to, you know, to take care of others and to nurture others um, from the time that we're very small. I mean, you know, if you think about how, you know, what the good girls do, a good girl is not somebody who cares for herself, but it's somebody who, you know, takes care of other people. If, if you're even if you look at a household today um, in this country over the holidays, the the girl who was celebrated at the holiday party was the girl who was going around and taking people's jackets and putting them where they should be and like serving the guests. And that's even today, you know, but little boys aren't expected to do that. And so I think from a, in very, like not necessarily overt ways, you know, but in, in very little ways that, you know, that we really hold on to and that we take notice of as children, Girls are not taught to take care of themselves. We're really celebrated for taking care of others from day one. What would you say to the woman who's thinking, you know, listening to this show and thinking, God damn, self-care, like who has time for that? Like, how can you fit self-care into your life in small ways? It's not really adding any skill set. It's letting go of a lot of things. Self-care, the way that 
you know, the way that I define it with, you know, setting the climate so that you can be your best self, setting the climate so that you can feel like you. Oftentimes for us, you know, women, that means letting go of things, not necessarily adding things onto our daily schedule. You know, even, you know, like with the mental health stuff that we talk about, it's not about learning new things. It's about shedding the impact of social norms. So it's not, this is all like a letting go, not necessarily an adding on. Um, so somebody who doesn't feel like they have time, you know, for self-care, you know, like just don't pick up your phone. Like that's self-care. You know, don't respond to the text. You know, like, like there's, it's, it's nothing that needs to take more time. It would actually take less time and create more mindfulness and peace in your day. We all have these negative thought patterns, you know, that just like mm -hmm. gnaw at us and you can call it anxiety or depression or it's kind of all of those things. I'm sure everybody has it. Nobody talks about it. I think it's important to talk about it, but what's just like some lightweight, I mean, obviously we're not going to cure any of this on this podcast, but what's some lightweight advice, just a little tip on how to curb those negative thoughts. Okay. You know, we each have a positive and negative thought voice. Those of us with low self-esteem, and especially girls and women, we have a negative thought voice that is more vicious and more vocal than others, period. The way that we need to curb that is, number one, we have to identify the negative thoughts. When you're feeling kind of ugh, you need to go to your thoughts because you can't have a feeling without having a thought first. And so you go to your thoughts and you say, okay, so what am I thinking? You know, and the thought might be like, you know, I'm not smart enough. Nobody likes me. That group of women is standing over there and they all hate me or I don't belong here or I'm not whatever. And so you look at what you look at the thoughts, your thoughts stop, which means, you know, one thing that's a huge problem that makes us feel really bad is when the thoughts just keep on reeling. But if we can thoughts stop, stop them dead in their tracks and write them down. Now that seems like, why the hell am I going to write them down? Do I really want to focus on these negative thoughts? Well, the only way to get over them is to see, is to see exactly what they are. Now, when you look at them, you're going to see that most of the time they're complete bullshit. And so I always suggest collect the data. Okay. So if it's, I'm so stupid. So what data do we have to support that you're so stupid? Well, if you really look at it, we don't have any. And so then we replace that thought with a thought that makes us feel better. That's actually more based in reality. And so we look at that and we say, okay, so I, I'm not, all right, so I did well at this. I did well at that. People have celebrated this. I'm feeling kind of good about, all right, so actually I'm, I'm really not that stupid. What, one thing that we need to recognize with negative thoughts is, yeah, they're fast and they're furious and they're always present. But if you stop them, you write them down, you change the thought to being something that is more positive and more based in reality, then you're going to feel differently and then you're going to behave differently. Now, one thing that I want to add is that we usually have about three themes to our negative thoughts. So it's not like they're just like random shit, you know, like, like my three themes growing up with I'm, I'm stupid, I'm overrated, and I'm ugly. Those were the three, those were like the three themes. Well, the three themes for our negative thoughts are always tied to a core belief system. So every single human being has a core belief system. We have core beliefs about ourselves, other people, life in general, and the future. We get our core belief system from our environment. Our environment is anything that's not us. So we get it from our teachers, from, you know, our parents, from media, from magazines that we read, from wherever, the dude that works at the grocery store, you know, like we get them from everywhere and they're always coming in. And so, but our core beliefs are often faulty because we're getting them from other human beings and not like nobody really has this shit figured out. And so what we want to do is we want to write down what our core beliefs might be. So the only way you do that is you write, I am blank. I am blank. I am blank. People are blank. People are blank. People are blank. Brainstorm. Life is blank. Life is blank. So my suggestion with the negative thoughts, if I'm going to give you a little nugget, identify the negative thought, stop it, write it down, come up with your three themes, then take one step further back, get to the core beliefs. I am, people are, life is, the future is, write those down. Because knowledge is power. If you know what the hell is going on in your mind, then that's a way that you can control it. If you can control your thoughts, you can control how you feel and then what you do. We're quickly approaching the end of today's chat with Dr. Lauren. But before she leaves us, I asked her to tell us about her most recent girl boss moment. My most recent girl boss moment was um, the ceremony that I had here in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And the reason was, you know, it was something, you know, the ceremony is something that I created. And, you know, when I had closed the dance chapter of my life, I had thought that, 
you know, that was something that was over and now I needed to move forward and now I was going to do the psychology thing. And one thing that I've learned in doing the ceremony and founding the practice is that every single day that I li I've lived is necessary. You know, like I choreographed the ceremony. Um, I choose the music for the ceremony. I did the, you know, like the graphics for all the posters in the ceremony. I write all the talks for the ceremony. And it's kind of like my like, ha ah, kind of moment. You know, it's like, all right, damn, like, yeah, every day was certainly not easy. There were years that like, literally, where there were so many days where I was like in a fetal position on the fucking floor, you know, and standing up in the front of the room at that ceremony with all of those girls and women dancing with me, I was like, you know what, it was all worth it. It sounds so amazing. I want to come. We'll have to do it in LA sometime <laughs> or do it like a mini one at the next rally. How cool would that be? Yeah, so fun. That'd be great. Yeah. And last question, you know, Girl Boss is this thing where we, we want to talk about this new concept of success. We are trying to all like exist and thrive and navigate this world that was largely built like by and for dudes. Uh, and so it's, it's clearly kind of a ripe time to think about what that means for us personally, professionally, spiritually. And so I'm curious, what does success mean to you? The better I get in practicing ego deflation, the more clear I am at what success looks like. Cause I, I still get screwed up with it a lot, you know, like all of us, you know, like I'm always like, I always have like goals that I'm super passionate about and I'm working towards and, you know, like I'll literally wake up in the middle and I'm like, shit, I need to write this. And like, I'll go jot something down. Cause I think it's like super important. going to change the world. You know what I mean? And, um, and I get so into it and I'm so passionate about it. And, and then I'll think like, damn, like nobody's really listening to me. Like why? Like, I don't feel like anybody's really hearing me. And like, I, I feel like I have some shit to say, like, damn, like what if, what if nobody listens ever, you know, like I just want to be heard. And then I remember that, um, it's the process. And honestly, since I started the practice, you know, I've been traveling a lot and, um, you know, getting to meet amazing women who are doing really cool things, you know, like me going to the girl boss rally in New York, like that was a huge deal for me, like meeting all those women and like, you know, going to the dinner the night before and the conversations that I have and the connections that I made and like just going to these really cool restaurants even and like eating this really good food. And like, you know, with, with girls talk, I was able to travel to Berlin and to the UK and do the ceremony there and like all stuff like that. And it's like, I would never have those, like, this is success, I think. You know, um, I think this is it. Like, like I'm living and like, I'm doing what I love to do and I'm feeling okay. And like, I think that's really all that I can expect. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on Girl Boss Radio. All right. Thanks so much, Sophie. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on Girl Boss Radio. Again, if you love Dr. Lauren as much as we do, check out the brand new Girl Boss podcast. That's our second podcast ever. I'm so excited. It's called Self Service. It's hosted by our very own Jericho Mandy Burr, along with Dr. Lauren and an awesome astrologer, Jessica Lanyadu. Their first episode drops this Sunday, so subscribe now and spend your Sunday fun day self-caring with them. 